0: No one is exempt from this oversight, even the overseers within the executive branch. GAO has a continuing list of recommendations for the Office of Management and Budget, as a matter of fact, which it recently reiterated. We get details from the GAO's Director of Strategic Issues, Michelle Sager. Michelle, good to have you back.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: And it looks like your list of 44 kind of ongoing recommendations for OMB includes a lot about data, data transparency, data availability on government operations?
1: That's correct, it is pretty wide ranging and that reflects the reality of OMB's role across the government and providing guidance on a whole host of topics. So there are eight major categories of recommendations in the letter and then the biggest of those categories relates to improving government performance and closely following that are increasing availability and transparency of government data and uh, acquisition management reducing costs
0: right so that's about the three biggest things that there can possibly be improving government performance and of course OMB is is the clearinghouse for so much activity within the executive branch under improving government performance what couple of things can OMB do most? to improve its own ability to improve the government performance.
1: So this category covers a number of different topics. It includes 16 priority recommendations. And the basic idea that is a common thread through all of them is that they would help OMB better meet the information needs of decision makers. And so that includes things such as a topic GAO has followed over many years and that has great congressional interest, which is fully and effectively implementing a federal program inventory. And part of that includes broadening the scope of the program inventory that OMB would typically consider to also include tax expenditures so that we can look not just at spending, but also look at tax expenditures. And then it also includes topics that cover strengthening monitoring and evaluation practices for foreign assistance, as well as developing goals that would support child well-being and employment for people with disabilities.
0: And of course, Congress seems to be creating programs faster than possibly anyone can keep track of them. So it's kind of an ever-expanding issue, isn't it?
1: It never really goes away. So it's one of those topics that is of ongoing importance. OMB has made some strides on the federal program inventory, and they are taking action. So that is good to see. And one of the Priority recommendations that we close this year related to the federal program inventory. And so we are planning to follow the momentum of that effort, as well as provide guidance based on our prior work to make sure that as that happens, it is being done in a way that can not only focus on the program inventory, but also focus on some of those government data issues that you mentioned, so that over time, the federal program inventory effort is also linked to another longstanding area that has evolved over many years, which is Spending.gov, which gets at data transparency knowing where the money is going, and then also looking in a more holistic way at how the government is trying to achieve its goals through the tax expenditures as well as direct spending.
0: Before we get to usaspending.gov, I wanted to ask the Inventory of government programs that would be useful in maybe getting at another long-standing GAO issue, which is duplicative and overlapping programs.
1: Absolutely, and this is a topic that comes up every time our comptroller general testifies at hearings on duplication, overlap, and fragmentation. The basic idea being that if you had the program inventory, then you could look at any number of topics. Uh, people experiencing homelessness, child well-being, various education initiatives, and the list goes on and on. And you could get a picture across the entire federal government of where we're spending money and where we need to further coordinate and collaborate to make sure that we're doing that in a very uh, intentional way and also being as efficient as possible as that spending occurs.
0: We're speaking with Michelle Sager, Director of Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office, and getting to USA Spending gov. That seems like an example of a well-intentioned effort, almost like data.gov earlier on, where they get a really good start, but then it kind of grows stale as other initiatives come up, these different dashboards for pandemic spending. And there's so many dashboards out there that talk about duplicative efforts. Maybe they should all be under usaspending.gov, and therefore that would advance that program.
1: So usaspending.gov has really evolved in ways that We couldn't necessarily have anticipated when the Digital Accountability and Transparency Act was enacted back in 2014. There has been a lot of um, evolution of that system and there are literally um, scores of federal agencies that provide input to that system and the recommendations here really focus on OMB's role at the center of government not only providing guidance but also as agencies are submitting their information making sure a that that is happening and b that it is happening in alignment with the guidance that OMB has already issued so these recommendations really focus on that uh, center of government role that OMB plays and in this case OMB plays that role in collaboration with the department of treasury treasury provides the the technical guidance and then OMB provides the policy guidance
0: and another area where OMB collaborates is federal real property and asset management one of the eight areas overarching in your recommendations in that case it would be the general services administration and that seems to be particularly urgent now because of all the leases that are coming up and because of the telework situation, which seems to mitigate in favor of some real opportunities to condense all that space.
1: Definitely. So the nature of this uh, has always been important, and then it has taken on a different kind of tone in the current environment as federal agencies are thinking about the future of work. So it's always important to know where the federal government's assets are and how we're managing them so that we're doing it efficiently and in a cost-effective way. And again, this recommendation is similar to many in that it gets at OMB's role across the entire federal government. And this particular recommendation gets at updating guidance to other federal agencies so that they can, as they're conducting their work, reflect leading asset management practices, as well as developing a kind of clearinghouse of information on those practices and successful agency experiences and then sharing them with each other.
0: And in general, how does OMB respond to the recommendations and the reiteration of them from GAO? Because even though there's a lot of, like all agencies, there's this political level turnover that never seems to cease. But people forget that OMB has a pretty large and able standing career staff also.
1: They do, definitely. And one of the things that we track in the priority recommendation letters is looking at uh, something you could think about as kind of an implementation rate. So in November 2021, we reported that government-wide, 76% of GAO's recommendations made four years ago were implemented and OMB's recommendation implementation rate for that time period was 77%. So they're doing pretty well in that sense. And another topic, uh, that we highlight in the letter gets at our high risk list. And one of the things that we have added some new life to over the last two years is something we call tripartite meetings. So it's OMB, the respective federal agencies, and then GAO getting together and talking through some of the prickliest, most difficult to manage and take action on issues for the federal government and figuring out what actions need to happen in order for progress to occur.
0: All right. So they're kind of better off than the uh, shoemakers' children in reverse, I guess, because they do have a good record of trying to get after those recommendations since they are the should be the model for the rest of the government, I think, in some sense.
1: They are definitely engaging with us, and we look forward to working with them uh, The letter itself includes additional details about what OMB's response is to each individual recommendation, as well as any actions that they have planned. So they have a a lot of topics that they are covering just as an entity with that government wide role, but they are definitely engaged and you can see throughout the letter that they are taking progress in a number of areas.
0: Michelle Sager is Director of Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office. As always, thanks so much. Thank you. And we'll post this interview along with a link to her report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
2: Hello, I'm wife the CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. she has been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations, for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here.
2: Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you?
3: You No, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy. His name was Delbert Weiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her. I'll take her on my team. And you know, just looking back on that, there are so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether. stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do.
2: Angie, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you.
2: This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time.
3: This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money
1: through an app or online.
3: When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Grifols Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at GrifolsPlasma.com.